Hi, this is Jeff Barnes, author of The Wisdom of Walt, Leadership Lessons from the Happiest Place on Earth, and you're listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to episode 102 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. If you're new to Stories of the Magic, we are a positive and story-filled Disney podcast offering stories from cast members, Imagineers, artists, actors, and more, including guests, promoting a mutual love of Disney, celebrating and preserving the Disney magic and legacy, and inspiring people to live their dreams just as Walt Disney did. If that appeals to you or piques your curiosity, you're definitely in the right place and I am glad you're here. In this episode, we conclude our interview with Dr. Jeff Barnes, the author of The Wisdom of Walt, recorded live at Disneyland. In part one, Jeff shared how he became interested in Disneyland, why the book needed to be written, whether he's a left or right tunnel person, being diagnosed with a brain tumor and how it affected his dream, and much, much more. In this episode, Jeff talks about whether he had to do any extra research for the book beyond what he did for his class that he was teaching why he doesn't cite sources more specifically than he does, including only a reading list and not actual page numbers for quotations, what kept him motivated through the book writing process, the target audience he had in mind for the book, who he did not expect to be a target audience for the book, what his plans are for future books, including the one he's already started on, more about the history of Disneyland class he teaches, whether Disneyland loses anything if you don't have a memory of a first visit, his favorite land at Disneyland, whether he's ever considered working at the park, and if so, doing what, if he could have any job working for the Walt Disney Company, what it would be, what he never gets asked that he wishes people would ask him, what inspires him, his advice to you for following your dreams, and of course, shameless plug time. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and continue this story. My name is Al. And I'm Joyce. And we're, we're huge, huge Disneyland, Disneyland fans. fans. In fact, we love the Disneyland Resort so much, we host a podcast dedicated to the happiest place on earth to share that passion with others. That's right. On our show, Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast, we share current resort news, some tips and tricks we've learned over the years to help make your Disneyland Resort vacation the most magical experience ever. We uncover little-known and often-overlooked gems we like to call hidden treasures, and even review the attractions and places to eat that make the Disneyland Resort so much fun. And if that wasn't enough, we even share some video episodes to help keep you in that Disney magic state of mind. If you're a longtime fan of the Disneyland Resort, or you've just recently discovered the magic, this podcast is for you. You can find Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast at www.talescast.com and in iTunes. And remember, make, make it, it a, a Mickey, Mickey day. day. And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. The introduction is entitled, To All Who Read uh, This Happy Book. And so Saturday afternoon, about a week or so after I've written Detailing uh, Your Destiny, I'm banging out this, this introduction. And at the very end, I say this. Please don't let set your souvenirs on a shelf or allow them to disappear in a forgotten drawer. I believe it is possible to live every day as if it's a day at Disneyland. It isn't always easy. Too often the real world is filled with more problems than pixie dust. My advice, listen to the park. Walt envisioned Disneyland to be, quote, a live, breathing thing. And like any person, the park has its own personality. It has stood the test of time. Its history and story speak to anyone who will listen. Open your heart, and you might discover the wisdom of Walt and his magic kingdom. 
And then it ends with these words, Mickey Mouse ears not required. And when I tie Mickey Mouse ears not required into listen to the park, that's when I knew I had something. That's when I knew that the so-called muse had showed up uh-huh. and that this could actually turn into something really special. Okay. I don't know about anybody listening, but I got chills when you said that. So I have a feeling that probably some others did too. That That's great. I love being able to pick that out. Yeah. And I remembered what I was going to ask before too. Great. Uh, <laughs> Gotta give the Mark Twain a chance to do her thing as she goes by there. Uh, since you'd already done so much research for the class, did you have to do any extra research for the book? Yes and no. Uh, first of all, in my history of Disneyland class, it is primarily a history course. And naturally, I talk about leadership and success, motivation, and inspiration. But it's first and foremost a history course. The book is primarily a motivation, success, leadership, life lesson text. And we use the stories of Walt in the history of Disneyland to make those points and to apply those those principles. But they're really sort of, you know, reverse images of each other, if you will. The course versus, say, uh, the book. The truth of the matter is, Randy, I have spent the last 20, 25 years reading and researching Walt Disney, Disneyland, and Disney World in conjunction with leadership, life principles, motivation, inspiration, success. Why? It's a passion of mine. I I do this in my leisure. It's, It's not really a work thing at all. And so uh, I, I'm sure that as an academician, I should give you this answer that, you know, we sat in the bowels of the archives and, you know, we, we did endless hours and endless days and endless weeks of, of, of research. Truthfully, once I got serious and once I committed to writing 333 words uh, a day, probably 80 to 85 percent of the book. I, I already had in, in my head and, and in my heart. Yes, there were points that I needed to look up and uh, you know certain details that I needed to, to clarify. But again, 80 to 85% of it was, was already there. I just needed to get busy writing. Okay. Got it. And it's, you mentioned you know, being an academician and doing, having done all this research ahead of time, I'm sure you had all these sources already kind of in your reference to the file somewhere, something like that, so you could go back and get to them. One thing I think is interesting when I look at a book where someone did something differently than the way I did, it's not necessarily a bad way, it's just a different way. Uh, and I always want to know if there was a conscious choice that they made to do that in that particular way. And in the case of The Wisdom of Walt, it's that you, you reference a lot of different material, it's all in a reading list in the back and everything, but you don't actually reference page numbers when you cite books. Is there a particular reason that you decided not to do that? Well, two reasons. Uh, First of all, and and when I was actually writing, I was sort of a little paranoid about this because I've written a doctoral dissertation. I'm in academics, Uh and that's sort of what is expected. And so um, I, I wasn't exactly sure how that was going to be handled. And when I sent it to my editor on April 14th, Uh, I had probably 50 different questions for him uh, before he ever got into the manuscript. I want to say that was probably the first question because it was very concerning uh, to me. And what he shared with me was that um, typically in in books today, unless it is strictly an academic text, uh, you don't really have to be, you know, obsessive, compulsive, about uh, you know the source material, the page numbers, and 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 what have you, and and even if you are in a in a book like this, you, you don't necessarily want to distract the reader with that information in the middle of the page or in the middle of the narrative, and so it was a conscious choice between uh, the editor and and me to make sure all of the source material was referenced but not to do it in, in the course of the text itself, but to include a bibliography in, in the back. And so readers can find the material, but it's not written uh, academically. And, and to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of that, um, if for no other reason. I, I think the message here is, is, is pretty important, and I want as many people as possible uh, to have access uh, to, to what we're trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, that makes sense. I thought it was an interesting choice. So I'm glad to know what the reasoning was. Yeah, and and at the very beginning of the book, um, there's sort of a disclaimer that I actually didn't write. My editor, uh, Tyler Tischler, wrote uh, where he says, you know, just like uh, Walt doesn't interrupt Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to tell you how it is made, we don't <laughs> interrupt the wisdom of Walt to sort of tell you uh, how this source information came to be or where you can actually find it. And uh, interestingly enough, my editor has, has been to Disney World, has never been to Disneyland. <laughs> and I was a little concerned, okay, is this guy going to, to get it? Right. But when I asked that as the first question, and he immediately came back with that well-written disclaimer, I'm like, okay, I got the right editor. He, <laughs> uh-huh. he, he gets it. Yeah. Yeah. It's always nice when you suddenly get that confidence that you've yes. got the right editor. <laughs> you know what you mean? <laughs> no, writing a book is not easy. Obviously. If it was, everybody would do it. Yes. Um, you know, it's not right for a food cart to pass by and there be no food, only noise. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I feel so let down now. <laughs> uh, so what kept you motivated through this process? I'm sure your writing diet helped. Was there anything else? Um, I, I think se- several factors. Uh, first of all... My, my illness the, the summer before mm-hmm. and the recognition that none of us are going to be here for forever. And, uh, you know, that, that sort of once and for all, either do it or don't do it, but, you know, quit, quit, quit sitting on the fence, you know, you know, make a decision one way or uh, another. Uh-huh. Secondly, um, I, I, I think the investment in the writing coach... I, I am the sort of person that, you know, once I've spent the money, you know, I've got skin in the game. Right. And th- there was no way that I could look Nikki in the eye and say, okay, yeah, well, we spent that money and we still don't have a, a, a book. That that was never going to happen. Uh-huh. And so, you know, again, you know, we, we, we were willing to take that risk, recognizing that it would probably once and for all bring us the reward that we, of course, were, were hoping for. And then I think lastly... Um, her encouragement. It's one thing to say, you know, I couldn't look her in the eye and say, yeah, we spent the money and we, we still don't have a book. Um, she believed in me and she believed in the book and the ideas behind the book way more than, than I ever did. And, you know, hmm. she surpri- provided all of the support and all of the encouragement necessary, uh, you know, to bring it to fruition. And so, you know, when you have someone behind you, you know, like that, uh, it, it really does help motivate you and, and encourage you on. And I kept really thinking about Walt and, and Disneyland. I was fortunate, if you remember, when Walt uh, said to Lily, we're going to build an amusement park, she said to him, Walt, why, why in the world do you, do you want an amusement park? You know, those places are filthy. And so she was never really behind it, at least not initially. Neither was Roy. And so I was able to say, okay... Walt didn't even have Lily's support, and he managed to spend $17 million and bring the world's first theme park into existence. If he could do that without his wife's support, I can at least write a book with Nikki's support. Right. Right. Yeah, I don't think people realize how much Walt didn't necessarily have that support, but that's why there was an antique store in New Orleans Square. Yes. And you know, a lot of those other kinds of things, because if because like Lily really liked antiques, and he figured if he put stuff in the park that she liked, she yes. might come at least for that. Yes, yes. So, and interestingly enough, um, Nikki's favorite number, for whatever reason, is the number thirty-three, and that is actually why I decided on a three hundred and thirty-three word writing diet. Okay. Now there were days when I wished I had strictly limited myself to the actual number 33 rather than 333 uh, but that's actually why I picked that number and oddly enough the very last numbered page in the book and it wasn't planned this way the very last numbered page in the book is page 333 wow I was going to ask if that was intentional but it was not no it just happened to end up that way <laughs> wow coincidence okay. interesting uh, I think as people listen, they kind of figured out, you know, what the book can apply to them and you know, everything. But as you were writing it, did you have a particular target audience in mind? 
really, I, I think, two audiences. And, you know, folks in the marketplace will tell you, um, you know, if you try to write to more than one audience, it's, it's going to be a disaster. Um, and, you know, I, I really feel like I'm fortunate because the book's been out 15 weeks so far. And uh, it's been anything but a disaster in terms <laughs> right. of the market uh, response. Yeah. Um, you know, first of all, I wanted to write to the hardcore Disney fan. Not in the sense of telling them anything new about Walt or anything new about Disneyland that they didn't really already know more in terms of hey you know this stuff you see this stuff you experience this stuff what if we showed it to you from a completely different angle so that you have a bigger dream that you can accomplish other than just going to Disneyland again and again and again and again and again and then secondly and I I experienced this really with my history of Disneyland students if I were to go into that class and start trying to teach or maybe even preach life lessons or leadership, success, inspiration, motivation, they would turn me off very quickly. But if you do it with Disney and Disneyland as the vehicle, why they, 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 they peak right up and they become very, very interested. And so I really uh, wanted to, you know, get those lessons into the hands of as many people as possible using something fun and using something accessible. And, of course, you know, what is more fun than Disney and Disneyland? Right, yeah. Was there anybody that you had in mind that would not be the target audience for it? <sighs> I have to be very careful here. Um, Bearing in mind that anybody is welcome to read it and enjoy it. But just somebody that maybe you didn't think would be... My own peers and colleagues and academics. Okay. Yeah. And I say that simply because I didn't write it academically, Mm -hmm. and there might be the expectation that I would have. Right. Uh, I wrote it um, using uh, a a, a very accessible writing style. And the reviews that have come back all note, um, you know, that it is, quote-unquote, an easy read, which for a lot of folks in a university setting, that might actually be offensive. Right. Uh, But I welcome and I embrace that because, again, I want this message out into the hands of as many people uh, as possible. And then lastly, uh, you know, there there are some folks who come from what I like to refer to as the sad school of scoffers who, you know, really question if there's anything to learn from an amusement park or even if there's anything to learn from someone like Walt Disney who never got any further in his own education than ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, again, I did not write it for that particular audience, even though I am a member of that so-called club. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, it, it's funny how a lot of times who we think we're not writing for or who we think isn't going to appreciate it actually ends up doing so, but you know, that's all kind of more of a byproduct than you're trying to write for them, because then, like you say, you get too broad in who you're trying to focus on. Yeah, and, and it, in all fairness, um, it, the book has actually been popular at the university setting, and not just, you know, my own school at California Baptist University. Mm-hmm. You know, I've gotten emails and, you know, book orders from different schools, colleges, universities across the country. And so even though I didn't write it for that audience, it is resonating with them, and they are responding well to it. Uh-huh. And I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that has to do with the fact that it is Disneyland, which speaks to that child in all of us. And even the, the academics that, you know, if they're going to sit down and write it's going to be a very intellectual paper or article or book or whatever when it comes to reading something if it connects them to that part of themselves then they enjoy it yes yeah so uh, are there any plans for a sequel or a companion (laughs) or anything like that yes uh, i actually have three book ideas uh, in in the works and i've started on one of them Uh, first of all Uh, I've been asked by Theme Park Press to write a general history of Disneyland. And um, what the uh, publisher said to me was, uh, there's a lot of great Disneyland history books out there, uh, to include Sam Genoway's uh, The Disneyland Story, which is actually one of the textbooks in our History of Disneyland uh, class. But they really uh, are looking for one that is less academic, 
and, and more general and more accessible. And uh, even though I am, again, an academician, my writing style is just that, uh, very accessible. And so I've signed a contract uh, with them. Uh, secondly, I have come to realize uh, that there is more to the wisdom of Walt, and I've already began to sketch out those chapters. Um, I think it would end up being titled Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, more leadership lessons from the happiest place on earth, and would probably go um, into some of the stories uh, that extend outside of Walt's own lifetime uh, to include, say, you know, Disney World or maybe even Disney's you know, California Adventure, um, plus other stories that you know, we just didn't have the opportunity to share uh, inside uh, the original Wisdom of Walt. And then lastly, uh, the book that I would really love to write, there's a text out there entitled, If Disney Ran Your University. Well, I'm sorry, there's a book out there, If Disney Ran Your Hospital. Oh, oh yeah, I've heard of it. And I uh, have been inspired by that and would love to write a book entitled, If Disney Ran Your University. Okay. Interesting. And I assume the first one that you're, the one that you said is already in process, is that the general history of Disneyland yes. with Theme Park Press? Okay. Do you have any kind of release date planned for that one, or is it still too early in the process um, for that? I've told the publisher that it would take me about a year, and... Uh, uh, we're, we're not to November 22nd yet, so uh, <laughs> I, I'm not saying that's the only day that I can start writing a book, but uh, right. uh, I'm a little bit, I haven't really started in earnest yet. Um, I, I've written a few things, um, and so I still think we can make the year target as long as I get started by November 22nd. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what you'll be doing on Black Friday. Probably so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, and, you know, we've talked several times about your class that you teach. But I want to know a little bit more about it. Like, kind of how do you structure the class? Obviously, you take a field trip to Disneyland, yes. but what else do you do? Well, first of all, I start with a lecture entitled The Walt Disney of Disneyland uh, because uh, these are young people in college. They're anywhere between the ages of, say, 18 and, you know, 24. And this particular generation, well, first of all, they've never known a world without Disneyland. Right. And here in Southern California, they've never known a world without Disneyland literally in their backyard. If you ask them, almost none of the students can tell you about their first trip to Disneyland because they were too young. They don't remember it. Mm -hmm. uh, all they know is they grew up in Southern California, and as often as possible, they and their family went to Disneyland. And so as a result, they know almost nothing about its history, almost nothing about its story. And Walt is sort of this mystical figure. They know that there was a Walt Disney, but other than that, he's sort of lost to them. And so in that lecture, uh, they, they come to discover, again, Walt wasn't just born successful. They, they learn that he went bankrupt in Kansas City, which prompted his move out to California. Uh, they come to discover uh, that not only did no one believe in Disneyland, they didn't even believe in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs as the world's first fully animated feature. And so, again, trying to connect them uh, to this idea that, you know, dreams are challenging and, uh, you know, Walt Disney didn't just speak the words and they happened. He simply pursued with courage and overcame any and all adversity and any and all obstacles because that's what I want to see them do with their own dream, their own life, and their own uh, story. Um, beyond that, we, we really work to try and connect the history of the park to uh, U.S. history. So, for example, we talk about how unique the decade of the 1950s was, uh, the middle decade of the 20th century, 1955, being the middle year of that middle decade, and why uh, Disneyland uh, connected with the American public uh, in, in such a special way in a very unique time culturally in, in American history. One of our favorite class sessions, we actually sit down and watch the entire opening day broadcast from ABC television by way of YouTube, July 17, 1955. Uh, the students, they have no idea who Art Linkletter is. They have no idea who Bob Cummings is. They're shocked to find out that Ronald Reagan, <laughs> uh, who you know would go on to become president of the United States, was one of the opening day MCs. And you know they have a lot of fun and I think a lot of introspection too about what they see reflected regarding America in 19. 
1955. There's a, a, a lot of things about Disneyland that they recognize, and there's a lot of things about Disneyland that are really sort of foreign to them. And right. listen to the discussion that erupts following the viewing of that broadcast is, is, is really a lot of fun. And then lastly, the final day of the class, we take a tour, not to Disneyland, because we've already done that at that point. Okay. We take a tour of Garner Holt Productions in San Bernardino, California. And, of course, Garner Holt today is the world's largest maker of audio animatronics. The students love the class. They love the field trip to Disneyland. The tour of Garner Holt, far and away, is their favorite experience in the history of Disneyland class. Well, interesting. I would not have expected, I would have actually expected their Disneyland visit to be the most, but I guess I can kind of see why visiting Garner Holt Productions would be, too. Well, they enjoy the field trip. Um, they don't like getting up early, mm. but they come to appreciate how important it is to be here for Rope Drop. They experience the park in a completely different way because they're two hours ahead right. of the crowds that typically come stumbling in around 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. But all of them have been to Disneyland. This is their first chance to really sort of go behind the scenes and backstage, if you will, and, and see a lot of fun features in the animatronics that you know we've all come uh, to love. Uh, so, for example, a couple of years ago when we were taking the tour, we actually got to watch them building the pirates that are going to be installed in the Pirates of the Caribbean for Disneyland Shanghai. Oh, okay. Um, not everybody can say they've done that. Right. And uh, it, it really is for the students uh, a, a lot of fun and their favorite day in, in the class. Huh. Uh, Mark Twain's whistle seems really loud this morning. <laughs> That's okay, though. Uh, this might be kind of an unusual question, but I'm thinking you mentioned that everybody in your class has been to Disneyland before, and you know a lot of them grew up going, don't remember their first visit. My daughter's not going to remember her first visit. It was two weeks ago. She was five and a half months old. Exactly. But that doesn't make it any less significant or, or special or anything, uh, at least you know for her mom and dad. <laughs> And then she'll grow up getting to know it. But do you think that it loses anything for there to not be a memory of a first visit? I don't think so. Um, because what I hear from these students is, uh, and, and, and this is sort of almost an opening question when we, when we start the class, uh, why are you taking the course and what is it about Disneyland uh, that that matters to you, and you'll hear stories inevitably from their childhood that are you know connected uh, to either a parent or a sibling or, or some sort of crises, mm -hmm. and they do a really good job of you know connecting those memories in a narrative sort of way, and coming out on the other side about what what the meaning is and, and why all of this matters. So, for example, you know I've had one student say to me, uh, you know my parents divorced when I was six or seven years old, and up to that point we always went to Disneyland as a family mm -hmm. and no matter the crisis that we were going through during that divorce or even afterwards as you know we learned to be sort of a split and then ultimately a, a blended family mom and dad even though they were no longer married at least once a year would come back together and take us all to Disneyland and for her that's what sort of held her family together emotionally, even though there wasn't any other common thread that stayed connected during her childhood. Okay. Wow. Yeah, and you mentioned that. I think back to early visits for me and why Disneyland means so much to me, and it's the emotional connection and some trauma and crises and things like that. It makes sense that it would be that way for a lot of people. Yeah. So they may not have that first-time memory, but they still have that family connection. They still have those traditions. And, um, and then hopefully what we do in the class is we, we challenge them to see it in a completely new and, and different way. And quite frankly, um, they do things at Disneyland that they've never done before. Uh, their experience typically at this point is they show up you know, mid-morning, mid-afternoon, or maybe even mid-evening, and they go looking for the big rides. Mm -hmm. You know, they ride Space Mountain, they ride Big Thunder, they ride, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, for a lot of the students, not all of them, but for a lot of them, they'll say, wow, that's the first time I've done a Fantasyland dark ride. Or, that's the very first time I've ridden a vehicle 
down Main Street. Right. And that's sort of unfathomable for me. <laughs> yeah. um, but it also makes me very, very proud that, you know, we've connected them to a, another aspect of Disneyland. And hopefully they'll appreciate that and, and continue that experience into the future. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to ask a few sort of general questions as we start to wind down here, because frankly, we have fast passes for Haunted Mansion Holiday that expire in 20 minutes. we got to get on it, yep. Randy. You know, we've got a little bit of grace period after, but we don't <laughs> want to miss this. So um, I know your favorite attraction is Space Mountain. It is. But what's your favorite land? New Orleans Square. Uh, and, I, and I say that... Um, a couple of reasons. I, I think, first of all, the, the manner in, in which Walt was able to do the first expansion into a new and different land in a very, very small area. And he had enough money at this point, because he was taking almost all of the profits from Mary Poppins to help make New Orleans Square uh, possible. Right. He, he didn't have the budget or even time constraints that had limited uh, the original Disneyland back in, in 1955. And I think, he, I, I think he just nailed it. And then you, you think about you know, the two attractions that come out of that area, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion. To me, those are the quintessential Disney theme park, Disneyland-style uh, uh, attractions. Yeah. Uh, and then lastly, I actually went to college. I grew up in the Deep South. I went to college two hours away from New Orleans. And so it wasn't uncommon for us at all, say, you know, after class on a Friday, to head down there, you know, for a Friday night or maybe even uh, the weekend. This is a redeemed better version of New Orleans in in, in my opinion Agreed. and so again it, it, it reconnects me to a different place at a different time in my own life and my own story okay very nice yeah I, I think it's definitely a, a cleaned up version but the way you describe visiting New Orleans when you were in college kind of sounds like the way a lot of people visit Disneyland when they're in college out here sure yeah you know, a little ways away so you pop down for a few hours or a weekend or whatever yeah so. and, and the idea that you know he'd always he'd always had of course you know Frontierland and Adventureland and the Rivers of America but almost from the very beginning he would say there needs to be a city at the end of this river mm-hmm. um, there needs to be a city at the bend of the river and of course New Orleans is exactly that at the at the end of the of, of the Mississippi River and the way in which he you know literally would come to will that into e- existence I, I just think is, is is amazing right you know it's funny you mentioned it being a cleaned up version I don't know if you've seen this or not but I saw uh, a couple times online some advertising for the city of New Orleans and you look really closely at the picture, and they actually use New Orleans Square. <laughs> they, they photoshopped out the trash cans and a couple yeah. of other things, but to advertise their city, they used Disneyland's version wow. of their city. That's interesting. So. Well, and, and people may not realize it, but the um, the opening of New Orleans Square was Walt's last public appearance at Disneyland, and the mayor of New Orleans was actually there, and Walt would go on to comment that his version was cleaner and better than the original version, which actually offended the mayor of New Orleans at the time. <laughs> and truth hurts. <laughs> so, uh, have you ever considered working at Disneyland? I think I know the answer to this. But... I would love to work at Disneyland. I would love to work at Disneyland as a cast member. Um, I, I'm not sure that that would, you know, put enough food on the table at this point in in our lives. Right. Um, we're hoping that the wisdom of Walt does well enough that, you know, maybe when we re- retire, we, we won't need to worry about, you know, exactly how much money I'm making so I can <laughs> yeah. come down to the to the park and, and be that long-lost tour guide uh, that I've always dreamed of, of being. But, yeah, I would, I would love to be a Disneyland cast member. And um, if not a tour guide, I would also love to be a jungle, uh, a, a jungle boat cruise captain. Okay. Outside, well, maybe not outside of, but thinking broader if you could have any job working for the Walt Disney Company doing anything uh, short of like Emperor of Disney you know you don't get fiat rulership of Disney sure. but short of that uh, if you could do anything what what job would you want to have you can make it up if you want sure well um, first of all I, I do a lot of um, speaking 
and I use the wisdom of Walt as a platform uh, to, to, to you know give those uh, those uh, those talks. And so I would love uh, something in the Disney Institute where I you know traveled around the country and and got to talk about you know their business practices, you know their vision, uh, the leadership style within the corporation, and then you know hopefully you know be able to use the wisdom of Walt in the context of all of that. Mm-hmm. And if not that, then secondly, I would love to teach the history of Disneyland and maybe even some of the wisdom of Walt on uh, the Disney Cruise Line. Oh, that's great. That's a great idea. Yeah. yeah. So we've got, we, you know, Walt said, you know, Disneyland will never be finished. Um, I don't think I'll ever be finished. I don't think the wisdom of Walt or the history of Disneyland will ever be finished. So yeah, we've got some big dreams out there for where we would like to take this next. Fantastic. Um, what do you never get asked that you wish people would ask you? Wow, that that's a great question, Randy. Because uh, I can tell you very quickly what I always get asked. Mm-hmm. Um, whew, um, what do I never get asked that I wish people would ask me? Something that you'd like to talk about, but no one ever asks the question that gives you the opening to talk about that thing. Well, if I can be honest... Um, there, 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 there's an odd piece, in my opinion, in the third chapter, uh, which is entitled Listening to Your Walter Ego, mm-hmm. which, of course, is a play on words uh, for alter ego. Right. And, you know, Walt would go on to say, um, you know, that you know Mickey Mouse spoke for him and he spoke for Mickey. Mm-hmm. And so I write a lot about how Mickey Mouse was, in fact, Walt's alter ego. I was really excited as an author when I came to realize that I could do the play on words between <laughs> alter ego and Walter ego. That was a really, really, really fun fun moment. And um, I actually write in that chapter about my own alter ego, uh, which is a character by the name of, of Albert. And um, I, I would have thought at some point that someone would have asked me about Albert, but that hasn't really happened yet, and Albert's very sad about that. Oh, <laughs> he was hoping this that. would be, he was hoping that the wisdom of Walt would be his big reveal, <laughs> and uh, no one, no one's really gone there yet. Oh, well, you have the form now, if you want to take a minute or two to talk about Albert, you're welcome to. Well, like I said, it's a, it's a little bit odd, uh, but um, it, again, uh, you know, Walt uh, would say, you know, let's not forget that it was all started, you know, by a mouse, but of course, Mickey Mouse isn't real. Mickey Mouse is a cartoon character. Uh, that he developed uh, after he lost Oswald uh, the Rabbit. And yet he's very much a reflection of Walt's optimism, uh, Walt's desire to push forward no matter what. And again, you know, Walt would go on to speak for Mickey and Mickey would go on to, to, to speak for Walt. And so for the last 27 years, I have developed uh, this, this character who's actually a hand puppet by the name of Albert. And you know, a lot of people think that's a little odd. A lot of people think that's a little strange. And yet when you think about it through the print, no one thinks Walt and Mickey are strange. And so what I show to the reader is you have a better side to yourself. Mm-hmm. You have an inner voice that isn't just a critic, but you have an inner voice that's really challenging you uh, to go after your dreams and to step up and again be your own hero. And I think uh, Walt was able to put that on display through the adventures of Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are times when I will end up saying things and I recognize that's not really me who said that, but it's the character Albert that I've developed over these years who sort of stepped up and said what needed to be said. And um, again, uh, because it's not about me, it's about the readers, getting the reader to recognize you can have a lot of fun in living that great story if you were willing to develop that better side of yourself that only lives inside at this point. Very nice. Okay. Uh, What inspires you? People following their dreams, people doing um, the impossible, uh, people um, who are told in the face of no, uh, they're, they're going to do it regardless. Um, and, and I say that it, it doesn't matter whether it's, it's a child, it doesn't matter whether it's a college student, it doesn't matter whether it's a 60-year-old woman who writes and says, I loved your book and I've enrolled in nursing school because I've always wanted to be a, a, a nurse. Um, it, it inspires me when people don't give up. It inspires me when people don't just accept the status quo. 
Um, I mean, we're sitting here next to the rivers of America in what looks like the middle of the American wilderness. The truth of the matter is, we're in the middle of urban Southern California, and at one point this was nothing but an orange grove. And Walt had this crazy idea and this crazy dream. He didn't accept the status quo. He didn't give up. He didn't listen to the naysayers. He willed it into existence. And I don't believe Walt was special. I I don't believe he was this unique genius that we all want to make him out to be. I think he was courageous. I think he was brave. I think he was bold. And each and every one of us can tap into that if, if we're willing to. And that leads very nicely into the last question before we give you a chance to kind of plug everything. And that is, you know, a lot of people listening have their own dreams. And maybe it's to write a book. Maybe it's something else entirely. They've either forgotten their dream. They've been told their dream is stupid and they should just ignore it. Or you know, it's just kind of been beat down or shoved, locked away so long that maybe they've even forgotten what it is by now. What advice do you have for that person? Don't give up. Never give up. You have that idea, you have that nagging thought, you have that dream for a reason. Um, Walt opened Disneyland when he was 53 years old. Uh, I think the reason why he is an icon around the world today is mainly because of the parks, be it Disneyland, Disney World, or all of the other parks across the world that bear his name. And yet, um, Disneyland and him being in the amusement or theme park business only represents eight years of his life and eight years of of his career. It's never too late. And uh, if it were easy, somebody would have already done it by now. And the fact that there's some sort of obstacle, there's some sort of barrier, uh, the fact that someone is telling you no, that's a really, really, really good sign. Because your dream is on the other side of that no. Your dream is on the other side of that barrier and on the other side of that obstacle. So just keep moving forward. Great. Using that brick wall analogy reminded me of something. I think it was John Acuff said that uh, the, the wall is not there to keep you out. It's there to keep other people out. Yes. You know, it's just... You know, I might have to reposition the wall a little bit or get over it, but it, the, the, the wall is not there to keep other people or keep you away from your dream. It's to keep other people who are going to interfere yeah. away. And, and I love that you referenced Acuff because he is an inspiration uh, for me. Um, uh, his book, Start, uh, Punch Fear in the Face, Escape mm-hmm. Average, Do Work That Matters, uh, was a major motivation for me. Uh, because I wanted to know exactly how this book was going to turn out before I ever wrote the first word. Uh-huh. And then once the book was released, I wanted to know everything that was going to happen. I wanted to be in control of it. And right. in that book, Start, uh, Acuff says, you can't control your dream. You, you, you have no say on this great adventure that you're starting out on. The only thing that you do control is your ability to start, to start now and to start today. And and I, I can't begin to tell you how true that is. I had the ability to start writing the first words for the wisdom of Walt on November 22nd. I didn't have the ability to know when the first completed chapter would be done. I didn't have the ability to know when the muse would show up and give me the model and the example for all of the other chapters. Nor did I have the ability to know that once the book was released, that within a week I would get a call and an invitation to come down to Walt Disney World and give an interview regarding the book on July 4th out on the Seven Seas Lagoon. If I had been in control of that, Randy, I would have never listed that because the idea would have never even come to me. Uh Your, Your dream is this great adventure. You're not in charge. You're not in control of it. But you do control the starting line. Start now, start today. Great advice. Fantastic. So now is shameless plug time. (laughs) This is is the reason that you've sat through the rest of the gauntlet is so that you can can get to this part. So tell people where they can find the book, where they can find you if you want to on social media, whatever you want, go for it. Sure. Uh, The book is readily available. Um, You can purchase it at thewisdomofwalt.com. 
Uh, you can also purchase it on Amazon. The hard copies are available at thewisdomofwalt.com. The hard copies are also available at Amazon, uh, as well as an ebook. Uh, the hard copy book is twenty four ninety five. Uh, the ebook is five dollars and ninety nine cents. If you purchase the hard copy, regardless of you do it by way of my website or even Amazon, every single book is personally signed by me. Um, that's what Walt would do, and I want to sort of follow that example and follow uh, that model. Uh, I'm on Facebook as Jeff Barnes. Uh, the book has its own Facebook page, uh, The Wisdom of Walt, Leadership Lessons from the Happiest Place on Earth. And you can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Disneyland. Okay. And you've got the audiobook that's going to be coming out yes. not too far in the future. Yes. Uh, they started production on the audiobook this month, and it will be released just in time uh, for the holiday season, uh, November 1st. And so that's another way in which uh, folks will have access uh, to the book. And then let me just also say, as we're getting into the holiday season, as I go and do more book signings and do more uh, speeches, I find people buying more and more copies of the book because they recognize it would be a perfect holiday gift uh, for their friends and their family members who are, in fact, Disney uh, fans. And so if you're interested in any sort of bulk order, uh, you know, go to my website. You can email me, uh, jeff at uh, the wisdom of Walt, and we can work out a, a, a bulk order pricing deal. Uh, for anywhere from five books all the way up to, say, a hundred if you want to give it as a gift for your team or for your employees. Okay, and it would make a great gift. And I'm going to put links to all of this in the show notes, too, so that people have easy access. Thank to you, it. Randy. Absolutely my pleasure, Jeff. So thank you for being here and uh, joining me in this lovely place again. Oh, it's a perfect morning. It really is. And I really appreciate your time and the wisdom that you shared uh, of your own and the wisdom of Walt. Thank you, Randy. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Jeff Barnes for being my guest and to you for listening. I can't tell you who the next guest is going to be because, frankly, I haven't scheduled the next interview yet. I mentioned back before my daughter was born that new episodes would possibly be sporadic at times. This is one of those times, and let me take just a couple of minutes to tell you why. If this show was just me talking, I could record any time. But since it's entirely an interview show, I can't release new episodes unless I've been able to record the interviews first. Currently, I work during the day, Monday through Friday, and then my wife goes to work each of those days when I get home and works part of Saturday. You may not have ever considered this, but it is almost impossible to record an interview with a baby on your lap or right next to you needing attention. When she goes to sleep before my wife gets home, I still have to wait to record until she gets home, because I can't have headphones on while my daughter is asleep in the other room, because I wouldn't be able to hear her or get to her if she needed me. That means most weeknights I can't even think about starting to record until 8.30 or so Pacific time. With at least half of most Saturdays also taken up, you can imagine how difficult it is to get interviews scheduled. We work around that when we can, but at the moment that doesn't happen very often. As you can imagine, now that we're into the last couple of months of the year, scheduling becomes even more problematic. I'm still committed to Stories of the Magic and to you, the listeners. I will schedule interviews when I can and release them as soon as possible after. And rest assured, I do have some in the works even now that I'm trying to coordinate. In the meantime, there are more than 100 episodes for you to enjoy. And if you have any stories you'd like to share... If you'd like to be interviewed, or if you know someone who might be a good guest, share that with me, and those are all things that can help me bring you episodes sooner. Now, rather than our usual sponsor message, like last time, I'd like to ask for your help supporting a great and worthy cause. As you probably know, I'm a runner. I run first for myself and what it does for me. I run second for my family, so I can be healthy for them, especially now that I have a daughter. What you may not know is that third, I run for others to raise money for causes and organizations that I care deeply about. More than half of the races I run every year, I do in support of worthwhile causes. On the weekend of January 15th to the 17th, 2016, I will run 22.4 miles for Team Muscle Makers for Ulrich Congenital Muscular Dystrophy. Yes, I'm running a 5K, a 10K, and a half marathon, all in support of this important cause. I'm putting myself through a lot to be able to do this, actually, just so you know. 
Makers. Team Muscle Makers for UCMD's mission is to raise awareness for Ulrich congenital muscular dystrophy, a rare form of muscular dystrophy with only a few hundred documented cases worldwide. Because it's so rare, these people who are afflicted soon after birth may often not get the help they need and have little hope for a cure because it's not a big-name disease and gets overlooked. As a team, it's our goal to raise money for the research for new treatments and one day a cure for UCMD. And to do this, we run. My fundraising goal is $1,200. But it's more than just a goal. It is a necessity. You see, if I don't raise at least this much, I won't be able to participate at all. This is my fundraising requirement. I'm doing the training. Getting up early, running in heat, cold, rain, whatever. Icing sore muscles. But without help, all of that will be for nothing. I'm also funding a part of this goal, at least a third of it myself. I need you to partner with me, though. It is not something that I can do on my own. And even though the race isn't until, well, races aren't until mid-January, the fundraising deadline completely is actually the end of December, and I need to have at least half of the money raised very, very soon. We're actually past the recommitment date where I'm supposed to have that done. So really, the sooner the better is where I need the help. To do that, please go to storiesofthemagic.com TMM. That TMM is for Team Muscle Makers. Storiesofthemagic.com TMM. And you can donate, and it is tax deductible. So if you're looking at having some extra opportunities for some year-end charitable contributions to reduce your income taxes, this is a great way to do it, and it's coming at the perfect time. Thank you for your support. Now, if you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, created a website, you're blogging, writing or performing music, art, whatever it may be, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who've worked for Disney. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience and you'd like to give a compliment or a thank you for something that Disney's done or share a story about one of those special interactions or encounters, then I would love to hear from you as well. For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. By the way, I'm also working on getting it into the Google uh, Podcast Store. Apparently Google is going to be coming out with a podcast app pretty soon for the Android phones, and so I'm working on making sure that it's in there for as soon as that launches. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, you can check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, like in this one, a link to buy Jeff's book on Amazon. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash storiesofthemagic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash storiesofmagic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories eventually, but this tale is finished. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com, for show notes from this and every episode, and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world. <laughs>